Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Hi there, it's Lucinda introducing this week's podcast episode. Before we go into the detail of it, we've got a great one this week with Aoife O'Brien, who's a fellow podcaster, and we talk all about her research into belonging at work, which ties very much into engagement and talent management. Now, before I go on to that, I thought as this is our lockdown or emerging from lockdown episode on the 29th of March, how exciting is that? I would just mention a few other things that um, to make you aware of. First of all, I'm going to take a break next Monday, so there will be no episode released on Easter Monday. Our next episode after that will be with the fantastic Mervyn Dinan the week after, all about internal mobility and talent management strategies. The other thing to let you know is that uh, we've still, at time of recording, got two places left on our Change Superhero course. And that kicks off on the 14th of April. And also we've got a fantastic deal going on with our virtual manager programme. If you've got somebody that you'd like to nominate to go on our virtual manager programme, which also kicks off later in April, you get a free three months access to Actus Academy. And Actus Academy is already chocker with some great um, management resources, but we've now got employee resources on there in terms of e-learning and video resources. And um, we will be releasing two new modules all around change. So worth checking out Actus Academy, actually, if you were interested in it previously. So just a quick shout out to say you've got until Thursday to take advantage of this offer um, in terms of booking on those training. Uh, So if you want to know more, as ever, either just go to hruprising.com and all the links are there, or you can go directly to our actus.co.uk website and you'll be able to access them there as well. Okay, on to this week's episode. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. As ever, my name is Lucinda Carney and this week on the HR Uprising podcast, I have got a guest and this is a first for me, a guest that I came across through Clubhouse. So uh, welcome to Aoife, Aoife O'Brien. Aoife, I'll allow you to explain yourself, introduce yourself a little bit more, explain yourself in a moment. Uh, But Aoife is also a podcast host, that she's a host of the Happier at Work podcast over in Ireland. She's a a happiness and work expert and coach, but not in a fluffy way, in an academic way. And that's one of the things we're going to look at in relation to this topic. We thought there's so many things we could talk about, aren't there? But we wanted to talk about talent fit or culture fit the importance of fit within an organization and um, obviously I know you've done some research in this area Eva, to look at and how that might be the same or different in this new remote working environment so welcome to the HR Uprising podcast Eva. Thank you so much I'm absolutely delighted to be here Lucinda and I'm a huge fan of the podcast so I'm a bit fangirling at the moment now so <laughs> it's great to be here. Thank you thank you so much. 
So tell us a bit about your yourself and your background and maybe how you got into this area of work. Yeah, absolutely. So I have worked in the market research industry for about 17 years or so uh, between Dublin, London. Uh, I worked in Perth as well for a time and Sydney before returning back to Dublin. And, you know, I, I worked in London for three and a half years and I absolutely loved my job. And I, I think I probably took it for granted a little bit that I enjoyed it so much. And I just thought work it should be brilliant and work you know everyone's always happy at work and people who I worked with really enjoyed the roles as well and subsequent to that I had some experiences at work which just didn't quite feel right to me so there was instances where for example I was told I was going to be promoted I was doing a really really great job and one of my managers pulled me into a room and or sorry not one of my managers one of my colleagues pulled me into a room and said um started talking about some of the accounts that I was managing and what we might do with them and I was really surprised by this and I thought what's going on here and he said oh I'm your new boss and I thought oh okay I wasn't expecting that at all so obviously that was quite disappointing there was no communication whatsoever I felt very on the back foot I suppose in that situation I felt very disappointed my confidence was completely knocked um, and not just in that instance but for years later as well I still felt that kind of the uh, the impact of that confidence and uh, it got me it sort of planted the seed of as an organization you know I left that organization in less than a year and a half after I started so as an individual how can I make a better decision for myself and my career how can I or how could I have avoided going into that situation as an organization they would have sponsored me to work there they paid me quite a big salary as well and as an organization I left in less than a year and a half and they could have prevented that so looking at it from both sides like how can you prevent things like that happening? How can you avoid those types of situations? So fast forward a few years and I was working back in Dublin and a similar experience, although it was kind of, um, you know, I loved my job for about eight months and then I didn't like it anymore and then I hated it and it was sort of up and down, up and down for, you know, the, around four and a half years in total. And I got to a stage where I was like, this really isn't working out for me and I have to do something about it. So when I started my master's, I was keen to talk to some of the lecturers about, you know, what 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 does all this mean? Why does this keep happening to me? And one of the lecturers mentioned that it's this concept of fit and fitting in at work. So as soon as I heard about that, I started doing all the research that I could around this concept. And so when I went to do my dissertation, that was the, the obvious choice for me. And, you know, ask anyone who I who was in my class in college. And it was like, oh, Aoife loves talking about this concept of fit. And what I mean by fit and, you know, some people call it different things. And I'm very aware of that. To me, it's it's an issue of semantics to me. This, this concept of person environment fit that I ended up looking in, it incorporates various different types of fit. So like it could be person supervisor, uh, it could be the, um, the person and the leader. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's various different types, but it encompasses these three particular concepts around values, needs and abilities. So they were the three kind of core areas that I looked at. And I looked at the impact that this concept of fit has on work outcomes, but how those impacts are explained by need satisfaction. Because when I did my research, 
this concept of need satisfaction and ensuring that employees' needs are being satisfied at work became one of the really, really crucial elements, which was different to anything I'd ever understood about work. And it's very different to what you imagine and what you see at work, where it's like, oh, someone's being promoted. Well, what skills do they have? What number of years of experience do they have? When you see job ads out there, it is always about like, oh, must have MBA, must have six years of experience or whatever it might be. It's always, always, always based on this concept that we need to have a certain level of ability in order to be able to carry out the job very well. So okay, so that's so if that's um, I get so as a traditional we've obviously got an HR audience here so quite often we would be recruiting for ability and skills and experiences wouldn't we if I just go back to your personal your two personal experiences that brought yeah. this to life so your first one over in the UK where you left in 18 months of course which is high cost isn't it to an organization yeah. if that happens a real waste you've gone through that that just that point where you could start performing so what was what need so certain needs were not being met for you at that point what would you say they were then that's a yeah, really great question. I think for me, it was the need for, well, probably the need for respect, <laughs> the need for having a good manager, a good leadership team, uh, the need for recognition as well for my contribution. So that certainly wasn't being met when I was at work. It was actually, it was in Sydney. It wasn't in the UK. The UK was where I loved my job, absolutely loved it. Um, so what needs were being met there then? The real sense of, I think, family and belonging. So this this idea of feeling like you found kind of home, that you you really get along. I was surrounded as well by really, really smart people. Like the people who I worked with were incredibly intelligent, but everyone was so welcoming and and there was always something going on, very social. I was new to the city, so it was a really, really great way for me to meet people as well. The work was challenging, so I really liked that aspect. So a few different needs definitely being met it's there. Interesting. It's really interesting you said that um, that thing about respect, because the penny just dropped to me, actually. So I know why I finally left the business that I was in for 10 years, and I left in 2008. And I'd been happy enough there. And then I got, after X amount of time, most of my time there, a different manager. Um, and this manager that took over, um, I didn't think really respected what we'd achieved and came in and started, felt like messing around with minimum um, experience. And the thing that I felt was missing was my, I think realized that I valued freedom. I didn't realize that I valued freedom as highly because I'd already had it. I'd always been able to just get on with stuff and that was like and then all of a sudden I felt like this person was messing with stuff and meddling with stuff and I didn't have the freedom and autonomy that I'd had previously and that was kind of what made me decide to leave but I suppose what the question I'd reflect back to you because I know you said that there's these three aspects which is abilities needs and values yeah I'm not sure if I can tell the difference between needs and values in this context okay Are yeah they different yes absolutely yeah yeah um, so maybe some of the things that I explained, so maybe rather than respect being a need, it's more of a value that I have. And I feel like I would show respect to people and I would feel that they should respect me as well. So let me let me explain a little bit more about what it means. So the values really are they 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 don't tend to change over time so our values are core to ourselves and they are part of our identity um so a, a value of mine for example would be order and structure and and how we can figure out what our values are as well is 
to have a think about decisions that you've made in the past and why you've made those decisions. So freedom, for example, is something that you've mentioned there. So that could be something mm. that you really value. And if you look at decisions that you've made in the past, uh, you know, do, do they tie in with that value of freedom and decisions that you feel good about and decisions that you feel bad about? Another way that you can ascertain what your values are is by looking at what really annoys you. So what bothers you a lot? And so for me, if someone leaves a mess, it really, it really bothers me. If I leave a mess, you know, it's okay. But if someone else leaves a mess or if things are not in an ordered and structured way, I, I get really frustrated, you know? So if I, if I think about a filing system, for example, and if things aren't really set up in, in such a way that it's easy to find things, then that really frustrates me. So order and structure is a value of mine. Um, family is a really, really strong value. I was gone from Ireland for over seven years. And one of the big reasons that I returned home was to, to spend more time with family. My brother was at a stage where he was going to be getting married and I wanted to get to know my sister-in-law a lot better. Um, and I wanted to be closer to my parents as they got older as well. So thinking about it's interesting like that, you use that though because um, you use you use the sense of belonging to a family as the need that was being satisfied in the workplace. So yeah. it feels like they are your an extension of your values in the workplace. The needs that's what it feels like the conversation we're having, but. I, well, I probably got them confused, actually, when I was talking more about what okay. needs to be satisfied. I'll explain a bit more about the needs in particular. So the needs is, is it's what drives us and what motivates, what motivates us, really. So that is, you know, we are driven by satisfying needs. So if we all have these three basic psychological needs for autonomy, relatedness, and competence. And I, I'll talk about each of those individually in a minute. Right. They are universal and, and they are um, basic psychological needs that we all have. They're, in addition to that, we all have unique needs as well. So, and again, I will expand on that in, again in a second. Coming back to our, our um uh, shared needs or the needs that everyone has. So they are autonomy, relatedness, and competence. Autonomy, and this is something that you mentioned a second ago, Lucinda, yeah. this, this idea. So you could value freedom as one of your values, but you have a basic psychological need for autonomy. So maybe I, that was what I was talking about then. Maybe that was what was being, I, I've interpreted it as a freedom value, but maybe it's the autonomy. It was that being was thwarted. So it was being kind of pushed down in some way and it wasn't, that need wasn't being met. So the, the need for autonomy is our ability to, to choose what we do and how we do it. And the interesting thing with these three needs is that can, they can be over or under supplied. So if you imagine the need for autonomy being undersupplied is when you're being micromanaged. And I know certainly, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening today who can relate to that, of the, this experience. of That's one of the most common things that people complain about on a management, their, their pet hate of a, of a management course. But it is interesting where we go with this in terms of remote working, isn't it? Yes, because absolutely. there's definitely been changes there. Absolutely. And equally, the need for autonomy can be under can be oversupplied as well. So that's kind of when you, when when the manager sort of takes their hands off a little bit, doesn't provide enough guidance for the person, and they're they're kind of left to their own devices, trying to figure out what direction they're going in and how they're going to get there. So each person will have a different level of what exactly they need, 
And it's about mm -hmm. keeping those lines of communication open around those different areas. The need then for relatedness is it goes back to this sense of belonging and how we relate to other people. And so that formed, you know, another part of the research that I did. What wasn't included, which I think is really important as well, is how we relate what we do on a day to day basis to the overall what the company is trying to achieve and therefore the impact that we can have on essentially on the, the end clients, whether we're delivering directly to those clients or not. So understanding what that means, but also how what we do on a day to day basis or what we do in our careers how that's related to our life in general. And I think this year in particular has given so much opportunity for people to think, is this really what I want for my life? Do I want something more from my career? Does success mean something different than I thought it meant? Do I want something, you know, do I want to live beside the sea? Do I want to have more free time? Do I want to spend more time with family? What, you know, what is it that I need and what role is work playing in that bigger picture for me? And then the, the third element is this area of competence. And that's this feeling of being capable of doing your job. And if you have not enough competence, maybe you feel like you're a bit of an imposter. And again, that's something that I, I often speak about. And if you have too much, you could be feeling a little bit bored, a little bit complacent as well. So it's about finding that right balance around that. And so it's really interesting that I'm just thinking. So we've had somebody who had joined a business and left quite quickly, which was really disappointing. But they kind of came in, they went into a role that they hadn't applied for. And actually, I think the reason I look at it is because they just didn't feel they could do it. We tried to support them and also in a remote environment it was really quite tricky. But then I've also seen other things where you get this kind of, um, you know, in terms of this whole cost of onboarding, how you bring people on effectively in an organization, particularly in a remote environment, how can we make sure that we give them the right amount of autonomy, even if they, even if they naturally, they need to have enough autonomy to get out to get on with things, but not feel completely isolated. How do we allow them to feel like they're um, part of a team when yeah. they've never met anybody face to face? And how do we allow them to feel capable and competent when they don't want to ask at every turn what to do? I just think the onboarding piece with those three aspects, and of course, yeah. knowing how important it is to um, to get people there, you know, your first experience, your first two weeks, six weeks as to how long you stay with a business. Yeah. Being for us to think about meeting those needs is quite yeah. important. And um, before I dive in and, and answer that question, I wanted to just flag that another really interesting thing that came out of the research that I wasn't expecting was that we really need to make sure that we're satisfying these needs for at least three years from when some, you know, we often talk about the onboarding processes for six months, typically, and by a year, someone is definitely going to be up to speed. But actually, it's really important to keep that going, that momentum going for three years. Right. There's a significant drop off after three years when people are more likely than to stay in an organization, probably out of loyalty and commitment to that organization, rather than uh, from their needs being satisfied. Um, in particular, in relation to remote working, for me, it's about keeping the lines of communication open and it's about discussing, you know, let's try something. And if this is working, then that's brilliant. So let's have a conversation once a week and you can let me know, do you need more support from me as your manager? Do you need me to step back a little bit and give you a bit more freedom? 
I think when someone is new to an organization, it's more important to to keep that kind of a bit more who being aware of who you can reach out to. So who is the person? Because when you're in the office, I think you get a tour and you're like, okay, so that's who I go to for IT. And I just walk down and I ask the question and that's where the HR office is. When you're remote, I think maybe having an image of of who it is or having all of those meetings set up in advance so you know who you need to speak to you're very clear about what you need to speak to them about and what they can help you with I think providing people with buddies or a mentor when they first start in an organization so someone who's not in their team but they can reach out to and be like listen I'm having a bit of an issue in relation to this can you talk me through it or can you help me with that situation so I think that is is really really important the sense of belonging then, you know, that's through team meetings, that's through informal coffee chats. People are probably yeah. zoomed out at the moment, but thinking Finding about- things in common, isn't it as well? So it's, do we have a football chat or yeah. whatever that might be? Yeah. And well, I, I interviewed a guest for my own podcast recently and I absolutely loved his idea. He's building this amazing company, a digital marketing company. And what he does he's building a totally people first culture he's he's injecting joy and and generosity into the organization it's an amazing amazing place and one of the things that they do to get to know each other a bit better is random question of the day you know just something simple like that I like it yeah Yeah. I just thought what a brilliant idea and it's informal it's they do it through slack I think so someone might post a, a random question of the day and then they they'll uh, you know different people will answer what that random question is now I don't I don't I didn't ask him what kind of questions they ask but I'm sure people can come up with their own random yeah. questions of the day and that they want you know and it's a way to to get to know people that is not work related and it's you know his big thing was helping people to take responsibility and to have a sense of agency that they are in control over how they approach work and they they brought in or reinstigated the book club that they had had previously. So they they read regularly and they catch up on that. So it's all this non work related stuff to help form and build relationships with the people yeah. at work. And I think that's I'm really really important. And I like it. And then on to the competence piece, really what is needed. And I've made this mistake as a manager myself, where people who I managed came to me and I thought, wow, they're doing a phenomenal job. They must know it. And you assume if someone's doing a really good job that they know they're doing a really good job. And they, this happened on two occasions, two separate people. And they approached me and they said, listen, can you let me know how I'm doing? You know, I, I, they didn't say, oh, I really want to impress you, but, but it was obvious that I, as their manager, they saw me as like, this is someone who I really want to please. And I realized I, on two separate occasions, so obviously I didn't learn from the first time, um, that they 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 weren't getting that from me. So I think as a manager, it's really, really important to tell your staff when they're doing something really well. But more than that, it's important to tell them specifically, like very specifically, this is what I would like to see more of and to focus on that. And I mean, we could go off on a tangent and talk about feedback and the, the, the downfalls of giving constructive or negative feedback, but, um, you know, and, and keeping the focus on, on the positive side of things. But I think it's, it's really, really important to deliver that feedback. So 
so it is our ability to so that, that would be maybe them feeling that they were competent or they're catching people doing things right as opposed to they might feel they're getting something critical helping them to build that sense of competence exactly and, and different people have different levels of of natural confidence yes um don't they in terms of how much feedback they need to to feel that they are there this is so it yeah yeah. yeah. So it's recognizing what the, the underlying need is behind that behavior is what you're saying. So but those are your three unit go on, sorry. Yeah, no, I was gonna say, well, that's exactly it. So they're the three universal needs and yeah. everyone has those. And it's about having an open discussion about needs. And if you had asked me a few years ago, what are your values, what are your needs? I'd be like, Lucinda, I have no idea. I have no idea what they are, but if you can have that conversation and it doesn't have to be as explicit as what are your needs, it can be listening out for specific cues about what, what frustrates people at work or what's getting in the way of someone getting things done. Uh, or, or what they're really enjoying about the role. Um, so yeah, moving on to then the unique needs that people have. So they might have a unique need for recognition, for example. They might have a unique need for status and power or a variety or stability. There's lots and lots of different needs and it's making sure that they are, are satisfied as well and knowing which levers then that you can pull in order to satisfy those needs. So it feels a bit like that's quite Maslow-ish in the fact that you've got to get your universal ones working, but then you might you might be able to then take if you give them enough variety or recognition, then people go higher up. And I'm sure that this is how we started talking about this, didn't we, at Clubhouse, was about engagement. You can see yes. how these feed into employee engagement, can't Absolutely. you? Absolutely, yeah. Now, I, I, I want to just call out that if anyone... <laughs> um, when I was at college, they were very adamant, like, if you write anything about Maslow's hierarchy of needs in any... <laughs> If any of your assignments, then, you know, it's going to get thrown out. Um, <laughs> Come on, George, something... correct me. George, <laughs> put that in context so you don't get misplaced there. Then. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's something that everyone is so, so familiar with, but it's, um, you know, it, for academic research, it's not backed by science. So the, the specific theory that I looked at is called self-determination theory. It's not based on a hierarchy. It doesn't mean that you have to satisfy autonomy first. And then once that's satisfied, you can go to the next level or anything like that. All needs need to be satisfied. If one is not being satisfied, then it has an impact on engagement. It has an impact on job satisfaction. Um, so it's about would you say that universal uh, in this context in this thing would you say that the universal needs and the unique needs are equally important then oh that's really yeah. interesting and maybe that's something I can do research on in the future I didn't include the unique needs as part of my research just in terms of time and space and I think the model that I was using was pretty complicated as it was. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, wanted yeah. to include everything in it. Um, but that could be something that I look at in the future for sure. Just be just, and, and that's where I was coming from with the Maslow shortcut. I suppose I was just feeling like maybe the universe ones have to be met first. And if they're not, then going on to the universe. But I, I have nothing to substantiate that. Just for the benefit of the listener, you talked about self-determination. Do you want to just yeah. briefly explain that? So otherwise people might go, what is that? Yeah, um, yeah, self-determination theory, absolutely. Um, DC and Ryan came up with that, I think, in around the early 90s. And it is, it's exactly, as I explained, the, the concept of autonomy, relatedness and competence. And it's one of the core theories of motivation and what drives us at work, essentially. So when those needs for autonomy, relatedness and competence are being satisfied, then we feel motivated and we feel satisfied at work. Um, but as I did more research or, you know, things that have been built on that and that there hasn't been a huge amount done is this 
this idea of not just satisfying the need, but finding that like that it's not being over or undersupplied. And again, I didn't include that as part of my research, but I would love to, to understand more about that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you can go on and on. And that's where I say going into the um, engagement thing, which I know there are ups and downs in terms of the, how well evidence this is. You, you're saying you, you didn't go to engagement because it's massive, massive topic. And again, there are some there's some questions where I just recently recorded a podcast on that, which are part of your country, your um, input is contributing to that. Um, that's, uh, in, in that engagement podcast, I, I looked at one of the engagement elements they talked about is autonomy they're using autonomy if you have autonomy then that will be an engagement driver I actually question whether that is the case when you are thrust into autonomy I think you know going back to our point about is maybe we'll have our levels of autonomy for some of us it might be that we want to be 100% autonomous but actually if you'd rather not be 100% autonomous then you can have too much of a good thing well, in this, that concept this is exactly it and if you imagine yourself at the start of your career you need it much less autonomy than what you need as your career progresses. As, as you become and gain more confidence, you become more confident in yourself, you're more sure of what needs to be done. But, you know, it's, it is about finding that balance. And therefore, it, it, that's when this idea of keeping the communication lines open becomes really crucially important. You know, being able to have those difficult conversations as a manager, as an employee, how do you have those conversations to say, listen, I need a little bit more guidance from you as my manager, uh, or I need you to back off a little bit and let me just get on with the role. I know what I'm doing. And when you step in and try and take over, it makes me feel like I am incompetent and I don't really know what I'm doing when in fact I do. So we definitely should stand up for ourselves in terms of that. I guess in, um, in sorry, this, this does definitely link into job satisfaction and, and retention, and these are useful things to be aware of. If uh, what, what would you say to HR professionals who are listening as to what they could do to um, increase fit in their organisation? It's going to help you retain people. It's going to help people well-being-wise. I'm sure there would be logically a, a map over there as well. What, what thoughts, what sort of closing thoughts have you got? For Absolutely. Them? So for me, the crucial thing is to hire for values. And I hear a lot of people talking about this, hire for culture fit, hire for attitude, things like that. So hire for values. So first step, understand what are your core values as an organization? If you don't know them, do some work around that. That's definitely something that I could help with. So find out what your core values are. Are those values, if you know what they are, are they being lived in the organization? Is that how behavior is reflected? Is that how decisions are made? Are they in line with your values? And so that would be the kind of the first step. And then once you get people in the door, then it's about dialing up the need satisfaction. So how can I keep these people in the organization by making sure that their needs are being satisfied? Everyone has the three universal needs of autonomy, relatedness, and competence. And everyone will have additional unique needs that are needed or that are required to be satisfied and not thwarted at work. And, you know, it is, it, I, I recognize the importance of people's abilities, um, but it, it did come out as the least important factor for driving this sense of fit at work. And I do kind of want to acknowledge that it's important, I think, and I've had this experience myself of, making sure that we are working to our strengths. And, you know, if someone is interested in the area that they are working in, if someone is 
uh, really skilled at the areas that they're working in, I think it, it does definitely drive a sense of satisfaction, but it's not the, the greatest area. And one of the, the really interesting kind of one-liners, if you like, that, that came out of the research was this idea of being able to, um, you know, it's, it's higher for values, but think about what can be learned versus what can't. You can't teach someone to have new values, but you can teach someone how things are done around here, or you can give them new skills around your software. Um, so think about what can, what can be learned versus what can't. So again, that whole thing about higher for aptitude. And I can see that maybe the abilities would feed into that, that need value of competence. If you don't feel you've got the need, then you're not going to feel so competent. Absolutely. So you've got to link those up there. So you don't yes. fundamentally, fundamentally somebody who can't do it. So, oh, we could talk for ages, couldn't we, Eva? Thank you <laughs> so much um, for, for coming on the HR Uprising podcast. Um, I'm going to let you introduce, obviously, as I mentioned at the start, guys, that um, Eva has her own podcast. I'm going to let you tell us how people can find you um, if they'd like to work with you or know more about what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. Best way to find me is to go over to my website, happieratwork.ie. That's the, uh, the domain for Ireland. Uh, you'll find the Happier at Work podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also listen directly on the website as well. And I'm always open to connecting with people on LinkedIn. So if you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm sure there'll be a link in the show notes. But also I, I'll yeah. spell out my name for people because it's going to be a difficult one, I think. And my name you is... You need to know Irish people to know how to spell that, don't you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's spelled A-O-I-F-E and it's pronounced Aoife. So Aoife O'Brien. Wonderful. Thanks so much for coming on, on our podcast and it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Lucinda. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actor Software, the joined up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising.